We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Proverbs. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you, and they will hate you. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is the one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can all take your seats. Thanks, Christian. Good morning again. Welcome to Resurrection Oakland. Uh, So good to be with you this morning. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I would love to meet you after the service. Please come up and introduce yourself to me. We are continuing and actually drawing near to the end of our sermon series throughout the book of Proverbs that we're calling Ancient Wisdom for a Modern World. And we've been learning how wisdom is more than being smart. Wisdom is not about how intelligent you are, how high your IQ is. Wisdom is more than just knowing a lot of information. Uh, We have been using this working definition for wisdom. Wisdom is navigating the maze of life in such a way that the decisions we make honor God, enable us to flourish, and lead to the flourishing of others. So we've been learning how this works in so many integral out, uh, areas of our lives. We've been learning what it looks like to be to navigate the maze of life with our words, to honor God with our words, to flourish through the words that we use, to, to lead others to flourishing through our words. We've been learning about how we need wisdom in our work. And last Sunday, we looked at how we need wisdom with our money. Today, we're going to be learning about how we need wisdom in our friendships. What does it look like to do this in our friendships? Why do we need wisdom in our friendships? Well, first of all, we need wisdom right now in this cultural moment, more than ever maybe, we need wisdom to value friendship. Just a few months ago, the Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy, wrote an op-ed piece in the New York Times about the epidemic of loneliness in our country right now. And he tells this story in this op-ed piece about 
a former patient who won the lottery. And as you might imagine, winning the lottery changed everything for him, but not for the better, for the worse. What happened? He quit his job. He bought a huge house in a gated community, and he didn't know any of his neighbors. He lost touch with all of his friends. He, he, got, he developed high blood pressure and diabetes, and he became lonelier and unhealthier than he'd ever been. We live in a culture where no one has time to make friends. Have you ever felt that way? I wish I had more time for my friends. And the truth is, we all make time for the things that we value. Nobody says, I have no time for work. I have no time for my job. Uh, we make time for the things that we value, uh, but we never seem to have time for our friends, for friendship. And so what does that say about how we value friendship? We need wisdom to understand the value of friendship. We also need wisdom to make friends, to make friends. A while back, there was this hilarious opening monologue to SNL uh, by John Mulaney, and he, he starts it off by, by saying, my dad has no friends. And then he goes, your dad has no friends. And if you think your dad has friends, you're wrong. Your mom has friends, and they have husbands. <laughs> Those are not your dad's friends. Right? It's funny. It's funny because we know it's so true. And we have actually, haven't you ever wondered, who, who are my real friends? Are my real friends the ones that I have in social media? Are my real friends who have been around the longest, the ones that have known me from way back? Are my real friends the people who know me now that I spend the most time with? Who, how can you know who your real friends are? How can you make real friends? Well, you need wisdom for both. You need wisdom to make deep, meaningful friendship, and you need wisdom to know who your real friends are. And so today, we are going to see how God has provided a treasure trove of wisdom for us to navigate the complicated maze of friendship. God wants us to have deep friendships that make us flourish and lead to the flourishing of others and friendships that honor Him. So we're going to break down these many readings. There's, I don't know what you're thinking. These readings might feel like they're all over the place, but they are all really wise teachings about friendship, and so we're going to tie them together, we're going to break them down by looking at three things this morning. Number one, we're going to look at the, the, the friends you need to get wisdom, the friends you need to get wisdom. Number two, we're going to look at the wisdom you need to make friends, the wisdom you need to make friends, and the last thing we're going to look at is the friend you have in Jesus, the friend you have in Jesus. So let's jump in with the first point here. The friends you need to get wisdom. Before you, need, before you learn how to make friends, you need to know what a friend is. So what does Proverbs say about friendship? It says, a friend is someone who makes you wise. If, if you have a real friend, this friend will make you wise. And we see this in the very first reading that we had today, Proverbs 13, 2. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. What's Proverbs saying? It's saying that we are all products of our environment. Uh, when you walk with the wise, you will become wise. If you walk with fools, you will become Fools. We are all the products of our friendships. We have this idea that we actually are who we choose to be. 
Uh, what other people say about us doesn't matter. What we choose for ourselves, what we think about ourselves, that's what matters. But the truth is, it, it doesn't work that way for any of us. We are all the products of our friendships. Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way, and there's this great quote from his book on Proverbs. In the early stage of your life, you're shaped most by your family. But for the rest of your life, you will be shaped largely by your friends. Haven't you found this to be true in your life? Uh, haven't you found it to be true that you are shaped more than anyone else by your friends? Think about the places that you eat. Think about the shows that you watch. Think about the ways that you spend money. Some of us have friends that make us want to be more beautiful, more popular, more athletic, more smart, more laid back. A lot of who we want to be is shaped by our friends. Some of us have friends that make us feel bad about ourselves. And some of us have friends that make us think too much of ourselves. We are all shaped by our friendships. And so if you spend all your time with the wise, it will make you wise. If you spend all your time with fools, you will become a fool. If you want wisdom, in other words, you're not going to find it under the peach tree of heavenly wisdom. Any Kung Fu Panda fans? Peach tree of heavenly wisdom where Master Ugwe would, would sit and ponder the universe, right? So wise, but that's not how wisdom works. Wisdom works in friendship in real time, with real people. Uh, this is as true today as it was in the ancient world. In the ancient world, uh, nothing was more important to you than your family. Look at what Proverbs says in, in chapter 18, verse 24. When you understand the ancient world, this is shocking. Proverbs says, one who has unreliable friends will soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, this would have been shocking to anybody reading this in the ancient world, because in the ancient world, family was everything. Who you were was, which, was, was defined by which family that you belonged to. And Proverbs is saying something counterculture here. Proverbs is saying that friendship can and should be elevated over family. Uh, one who has unreliable friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer to a brother. And the Hebrew word here for sticks is really interesting because it can also be translated cleave. That is how it's translated in Genesis. And if you, you, may, you may remember in Genesis that God says after Adam and Eve get married that a, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. This is a language of commitment and deep connection. Uh, take a look at Proverbs 17, 17. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Well, what is it saying here? It's saying that your family is always going to be there for you. Uh, when you. When you go through something hard, your family is not going to turn you away. Some of us have family that have turned us away, and the reason why it feels so wrong is because that's not the way it's supposed to be. But a friend, a friend loves at all times. You see, your, your family's going to be there for you when you're going through something hard, but they may not want to hang out with you when things are going well. <laughs> they may not want to go to high road day with you, okay? Like my family will not. Um, <laughs> yeah. Your friends, your friends are there not only when times are hard, but they're there 
when you're, you're dealing with something frivolous, they're there to hang out. They're there for you. They're not there because they have to be there for you, because of some relational obligation that they have to you. Your friends chose you, and they choose to spend their time with you. And this is actually why therapists and even pastors or self-help books are poor substitutes for friends, because your therapist is not going to hang out with you. And your pastor may hang out with you a little bit, but we've got a lot of people to hang out with, okay? <laughs> and so, but your friend, no one has access into your life like your friends do. And your friends can give you wisdom in real time as you're dealing, dealing with real life situations. Uh, and so fr a friend loves at all times. Uh, we need to value our friends. How much do you value your friendships? In the ancient world, family was elevated above everything. In our world, the relationships that are elevated above everything is probably romantic relationships and work relationships, which means where we invest most of our times is with our romantic partners and with our work networks. Um, but where does friendship fit in this picture? Because you actually need wisdom for how to navigate your romantic life, and you need wisdom for how to navigate your work. You need friends. You need friends. So how do you make good friends? How do you make wise friends? How do you make friends that make you wise? Uh, well, this leads us to our second point, the wisdom you need to make friends. How can wisdom help you make good friends? Well, we're going to look at three really practical principles from the Proverbs this morning, and they're up here. Um, if we go to the next slide, three kinds of wisdom for friendship, sensitivity, counsel, and faithfulness. Sensitivity, counsel, and faithfulness. Let's start with sensitivity. Uh, there are four really poignant Proverbs that challenge us to be sensitive to the needs of our friends. The first one, you guys all laughed. It's, it's, it's pretty good, right? Seldom set your foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and they will hate you. Uh, second one, like, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on a wound is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Go to the next one. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Uh, if anyone loudly, that should be loudly, blesses their neighbor early. <laughs> Lousy blessings are bad too, but loud, loud blessings are worse. If, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. So what, what are all these proverbs saying? I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could just have a sign in your living room with these proverbs? It, it would not be great because it wouldn't be sensitive to your guests, right? These proverbs, they're, they're talking about sensitivity and how if you want to cultivate rich, flourishing, wise friendships, you actually need to be sensitive to the needs of your friends. You need to know if your, your friend, you know, is getting tired and you've overstayed your welcome. You need to know if your friend is a morning person or a night person. You need to know if your friend is dealing with something heavy and is not ready to listen to a funny song. You need to know when you've hurt your friend. 
and when it's, when it's time to make a joke and to laugh something off, and when it is to actually apologize and become vulnerable. Friendship requires incredible sensitivity. Wise friends are sensitive to the needs of their friends, and they're also willing to give counsel, which is the second uh, principle that we're going to be looking at here. Proverbs 27.6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Wise friends are not afraid to say hard and uncomfortable things. And wise friends, wise friends hear hard and uncomfortable things, not as criticism or as attacks, but as faithful, trustworthy wounds and perfume to the heart. Wise friends understand that the friends that are willing to say difficult, uncomfortable things to them may be the best friends, the sweetest friends, friends that you really need to hold on to for an entire lifetime. Terry Crews uh, used to play professional football. He had a short career bouncing around from team to team, and uh, he never really learned how to manage his money. So almost immediately after retiring from football, he became bankrupt, and he was constantly needing help. And he had one friend uh, who was there for him all the time, more than anyone else, Ken Harvey, who was a, a very successful football player. And he would go to Ken, and Ken would give him these gold coins because he had invested a lot in gold to help him out when he was short. And one day, uh, Kent Harvey stopped giving Terry Crews money. And Terry Crews, in his autobiography, he talks about how he was so angry when Ken Harvey did that that he, he could almost kill his friend. Uh, but after he calmed down, he, re he, he realized that he wasn't going to get any help from Ken Harvey, and so he found a job. And after he found a job, he told himself, I am never going to be poor again because there is no job too low for me to do in order to provide for my family. And then you know what he did? He called up Ken Harvey. He apologized to him. He thanked him for cutting him off. And he tell, told him, more than giving him the money all these years, cutting him off saved him. Now, do you have friends in your life that are able to tell you hard things? And if you do, how do you know if their wounds are trustworthy or they're just being jerks? Well, you need, the way you know that is by looking at the third principle that we're going to look at here, faithfulness. Look at Proverbs. We're going to look at Proverbs 17, 18, and 27. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity. We read this earlier. Proverbs 18, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We saw that earlier. This one, our last verse in today's reading is, iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. A good friend is faithful. A good friend sticks around. A good friend is present. They are there at all times, some friends are going to be around you when you're fun. Some friends are going to be around you when you have money to spend and places to go and people to see. Uh, some friends are going to be there for you when it's convenient and it's advantageous to them. 
But there are a few friends who are there for you all the time when it's hard, when it requires sacrifice for them to be with you. Uh, a good friend, a wise friend, knows how to be faithful, knows how to be present. Uh, Proverbs 18, again, the word sticks closer than a brother means to cleave. A, a wise friend knows how to cleave to their friends. They are committed to their friends. And this is so hard to do in this day and age because we all love to keep our options open. A wise friend understands the value of commitment. Uh, there's this great quote from David Brooks, and he says, it turns out freedom isn't an ocean you want to spend your life in. Freedom is a river you want to get across so you can plant yourself on the other side and fully commit to something. What's he saying? He's saying if you want deep, rich friendships, you can't keep your options open. You, you, you're not created for freedom, you're created for faithfulness. And one of the reasons why some of us are so exhausted by friendship, and one of the reasons why it's so exhausting to make new friends as you get older, is because it takes commitment. And you're just swimming in an ocean. You're, just think about that image. You're swimming, you're living in the ocean, and that is exhausting. It's exhausting to go from one person to another with no commitment given to them and no commitment given to you. We were not created for freedom. We were created for faithfulness. If you want deep, rich friendship in your life, you need to make a commitment to someone. Proverbs 27:17 compares friendship with sharpening a knife as iron sharpens iron, right? If you've ever handled knives you know that you don't just sharpen it once. You actually need to continue to sharpen it. You need to continue to care for it. And a, a, a knife that is well sharpened frequently can last multiple lifetimes. If you want deep, rich friendship, you need commitment, you need faithfulness. And how do you know that someone's words to you, their wounds to you are trustworthy? Well, are they faithful to you? Have they been around? Are, are they there with you in the good times and the hard times? Um, have you experienced sacrificial love for them? See, a wise friend is faithful. You need friends to become wise. You need to be wise to make friends. And at this point, some of you might be thinking, I don't have any friends, right? I mean, this, the, the, what the Proverbs paints for us is such a lofty and beautiful and rich vision of what friendship is supposed to be. So how does this work? You, you need friends to be wise, but you need to be wise to make friends. Which comes first? Well, neither. Because actually, what Proverbs is consistently pointing us to is that you need more than just wisdom for any of this to work you need a savior because all of us are deeply broken people who are incapable of being the friends that we need to be and incapable of finding the friends that we need to have. And we are all going to let each other down eventually and have consistently let each other down. And what you need before anything else, if you're going to develop a rich life of friendship in your life is Jesus. You need, you need a savior. This brings us to the last thing we're going to look at today, the friend you have in Jesus. 
After talking about how his dad has no friends, John Mulaney goes on to tell another great joke. He, he says uh, that the greatest miracle that Jesus ever did was making 12 best friends at the age of 33. Right? And he says, he says they were not his wife's friends' husbands. Right? He didn't meet them way back in school. He met them in, in his 30s, right? And he made 12 best friends. It's funny, again, because it's true, and if, 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 you're, if you've been around, you know that as you get older, it gets a lot harder to make new friends. Um, and the good news, the good news is that Jesus is more than just a punchline. He is the key that unlocks the doorway to friendship. Now, one of the beautiful things now, that you may have missed in the New Testament is how often friendship is, is mentioned in the New, New Testament. And one of the places it shows up the most is parts of the New Testament where we tend to zone out. Now, let's take a look at some of these places, right? These, these usually take place at the beginning and end of letters in the New Testament. Romans 16.5, greet my dear friend Eponidas. Romans 16.8, greet Ampelitus, my dear friend in the Lord, Romans 16, 12, greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Philemon 1, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. 3 John 1, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now we often gloss, these, gloss over these names and zone out at the end of these letters, at the beginning of these letters, but these names are so important to pay attention to because Number one, they, they, they show us how key friendship was to the explosive growth of Christianity in the early church. Uh, all the letters, the teachings, all the counsel, all of it is couched in deep and rich friendships, dear friendships. Uh, this, is, this is why we talk all the time about wanting to be a church where you can belong before you believe, because all our faith is shaped and formed in community. Uh, you are your friends. Your friends shape who you are, and when you have a community of faith that is pursuing Jesus, the way to explore that for the first time or to grow in it is through rich and deep friendships. Now, Another reason why this is so important is because friendship in the first century in the early church looked different than it did anywhere else in the world. In the ancient world, the ancient writers actually write and speak a lot about friendship. Aristotle speaks a lot about friendship, and he actually talks about how you can only be a friend with someone in the same social station. He explicitly says, if you are not a slave, you cannot be a friend to a slave, and only slaves can be friends to slaves. And this is how friendship worked in the ancient world. It was a mechanism for social status. People were friends with people who were like them. If you are noble, you're a friend with a noble. If you're a slave, you're a friend with a slave but not in the church, not in the church. The church gave, created community and friendship like no one had ever seen before. One, now I wanna point out Philemon here, Philemon one, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. If you read that letter, and it's a very short letter, Philemon is a wealthy slave owner. Paul is calling him a dear friend, 
they don't have the same station. Uh, and he's writing to him about his runaway slave, Onesimus, who in that letter Paul calls like a son to him. And he, in that letter, encourages Philemon to take Onesimus back no longer as a slave, but as a brother. Now, one of the most revolutionary things about the early church is the way that it defied the expectations of social class, the divides of social class and race and ethnicity. And if you're paying attention, you may see the connection and why this is relevant today, because don't we live in a world that is just as divided just as divided. Um, and isn't it all our natural preference to make friends who look like us, who talk like us, who eat like us, who live in the same neighborhoods where we live, or the same kinds of neighborhoods where we live? But in the early church, this changed. How did this happen? How did the early church become such a diverse community? Well, it happened because of the friendship of Jesus. Let's look at John 15, 13. Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, as he's sharing a meal with his disciples in the upper room, he says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. The reason the early church was able to cross boundaries in their friendships is because God crossed the ultimate boundary to make us his friends. How can a creator befriend creation? How can the holy befriend the not holy, as Brent said earlier? How can faithfulness befriend unfaithfulness? How can God call us his friends? Well, the only way he was able to do it was by sending Jesus to lay down his life for us. Think about what Jesus gave up to call you his friends. He didn't give up just his time. He gave up more than just his time, more than his comfort, more than his preferences. He gave up more than his status. He gave up his life. He gave up everything. He gave up perfect community with his Father. He died on the cross to pay for your sin and all your brokenness so that you could know beyond the shadow of the doubt that you are a friend of God. Now, some of you in this room may be feeling really lonely right now, and maybe it's been that way for a long time. And maybe, maybe you think to yourself, well, Will anyone love me? Will anyone appreciate me? Can anyone be my friend? Does anybody even want to be around me? And you need to hear Jesus saying to you, you are my friend. See, Jesus gained nothing by giving his life for you except you. He, he, had, he, he gained, had no advantage in befriending you except to have you, and he chose to be your friend. You need to hear Jesus say, I love you, and you are my friend. Some of you here this morning, you have secrets that no one knows about. 
There's a part of your life that is hidden and closed off to maybe even your closest friends and family. And and you think to yourself, "If, if anyone knew this, they would be so disgusted with me. No one, no one would want to be around me. And you need to hear Jesus saying to you, you are my friend, and I see you to the bottom, and there is nothing that I do not love about you. I gave my life for you so that you can know that you belong to me and I belong to you. Some of you are exhausted, uh, maybe even exhausted by this sermon as you think about all the shallow friendships you have. And you think, where, where am I ever going to find the motivation to make deep friendships? What am I going to say no to? What, what's going to change in my schedule? And you need to hear Jesus say, I am committed to you. I am committed to you not only when it's easy, I'm committed to you when it's hard. And I love you and I want to be with you. Some of you here have friends that only look like you. And that's all our preference. Everybody, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us prefer to be around people who are just like us. And you need to hear Jesus say to you, I don't love you because you're like me. I love you even though you're completely different from me. And I call you my friend. And I gave my life to make it so. See, if you've been around, you, you saw this incredible story from Aaron this morning. And we've had three beautiful testimonies of community groups. And we're, we're in this stage of our church right now where we're promoting community groups. But you, you need to know, as beautiful as these stories are, community is not easy. And it's actually really, really messy. But when you see what a friend you have in Jesus, it will give you the wisdom in navigating the messy situations that we find ourselves in. When Jesus becomes the center and not the friendship, if we make friendship the the center, we're going to lose friendship. We're going to constantly be disappointed. We're going to feel like we have the worst friends ever, and we're going to feel like we are the worst friend ever. But when you put Jesus at the center, when you see what a friend you have in Jesus, it changes everything. And that's what this table declares to us. This table declares God's friendship to you. It is a meal for friends, a meal that God invites you into. See, Jesus at this table declares to you, I don't love you because you're family. I love you in order to turn you into family. And I will stick closer to you than a brother. I am there for you at all times, good, bad, everything in between. I am faithful to you. I will not be afraid to speak counsel to you. And I am going to stick with you. This is the table that we need to renew our faith and to put to the, at the center of our lives. And when we do that, God will give you wisdom. He will help you grow in wisdom. And he will help you grow as a friend because good friends make good friends. Let's pray. God, how incredible it is that you call us your friends. How incredible what it took for you to do so. And so we thank you for this table. We thank you for Jesus, who did not consider it too much to give his life for us. We thank you, Lord, that the love that all of us desperately needs, we already have at no cost to us, but to ultimate cost to you. Help us to believe 
this is true. Help us to take these things into our heart even as we partake of this meal and help us to go out and to be used by you to share this great love, this great hope of friendship with others. In Jesus' name, amen.